Arizona Science is supported by Research Corporation for Science Advancement. For AZPM, I'm Leslie Tolbert, Regents Professor Emerita in Neuroscience at the University of Arizona, and this is Arizona Science. Today, our guest is Molly Gabrien, Assistant Professor in the University of Arizona's School of Music and a professional violist. Molly has a rare combination of degrees in neuroscience and in viola performance. She applies the science of learning and memory to practicing and performing music, and also to understanding connections between music and early language acquisition. Thanks for joining us today, Molly. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. You're interested in the connections between music and language. And you've said even that we might think of spoken language as a special type of music. Tell us more about that. Sure, absolutely. So this other area of inquiry came about when I was doing my doctoral work at Rice University. I was getting my degree in viola performance, um, but there was a composition, music composition professor there who had a lot of sort of side interests in neuroscience. And we started talking because of this shared interest. And he had long had this idea that you know, you often hear people say, oh, music is a type of language, right? You hear that all the time, or music is the universal language. And he had this idea that, wait a minute, no, that's backwards. Language is a type of music. And that's how we first experience it as infants, because we don't know it means anything, right? We just hear these sounds coming from the adults in our lives. We looked into the literature to see, is there any support for this idea? And in fact, there is. And so we wrote our first paper together in uh, 2012, arguing basically that Language is a type of music. That's how we first experience language as infants. And if we as infants cannot hear language musically, it will have repercussions, negative repercussions for learning language and learning to read and all sorts of language related things later on in our lives. And it's true that we all know that talking to infants is very different from talking to adults. What we do is we exaggerate and we say, look, look at this. They're not hearing the words. They're hearing the pitch and the loudness. Yeah, you're exactly right. We all, and this is cross-cultural. You find this in every single culture that's ever been studied, that people automatically talk to infants in this exaggerated way of speaking, just like you demonstrated so beautifully. We make language essentially more musical. And there's lots of different ideas as to why we automatically do this. And they're probably all true because it exaggerates sort of the sounds of the language. It helps infants sort of hear those sounds and latch onto those sounds so they can learn their native language. Are there different dependencies on music in different languages? If you're learning one language that's more tonal, do infants need to attend more to pitch than a language like ours that maybe is a little less tonal than many others? Is there a connection there that's important in teaching language to children? That's a great question. There are many languages around the world. Uh, Chinese Mandarin is one of the most famous, but there's many, many, many languages around the world where the pitch content of people's speech actually determines the meaning. What you find in infants is that all infants are able to hear all sounds in all languages when they're born. And up to six months of age, it doesn't matter if you are born to an English-speaking family or a Mandarin-speaking family or a Dutch-speaking family. It doesn't matter. You can hear all the sounds in all of the languages with equal ease. As a child becomes enculturated in their native language, the sounds that don't have meaning in that language 
we lose the ability to hear those sounds by the age of about 12 months. For an infant that is born into a tonal language speaking culture, they can hear those pitch sounds from birth and they will continue to be able to hear them and differentiate them by 12 months. When I was an infant, I was born to an English speaking family, right? I could also hear those pitch differences. If I had come across a Mandarin speaker, I would have been able to hear those pitch differences just as easily as a Chinese infant. But by the time I was 12 months, I would have lost that sensitivity because those pitch changes in language are not meaningful in English. And so my brain would have sort of pruned them out and said, okay, this is not useful information to pay attention to. Well, thank you very much, Molly, for talking with us about this incredible idea, this intimate entanglement of music and language in our brains as we grow up. Dr. Molly Gabrion is a viola professor who uses her expertise in neuroscience in really creative ways to enhance her approach to performing and teaching musical performance. You can hear this and all Arizona Science Conversations at azpm.org slash Arizona Science. I'm Leslie Tolbert. Thank you to Research Corporation for Science Advancement for their support of Arizona Science.